So, the mysterious spirit. And the central question I have been given is how might we open ourselves to the activity and role of the Holy Spirit inside a culture of reason and logic? And the wise part of me makes me want to slap my hand over my mouth <laughs> and be quiet for 30 minutes. <laughs> but who is able to speak of these things? Um, the part of me that feels like I want to be accepted thinks, well, maybe I should try and do something useful. <laughs> so so that's, <clears throat> that's why I'm going to. Um, but perhaps just a little story which perhaps sets, sets my current space in terms of talking about this issue. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Karen and I live <coughs> at Ngatiawa River Monastery inland from uh, Waikanae, and we've been there for, um, end of this year will be there six years. We're a community of prayer and hospitality, and we have many people come through. And we have um, three offices of prayer a day. <clears throat> and, and actually, part of it, one of the parts of Scripture that we pray very often are, are the Beatitudes. So our, our midday prayer is based around the Beatitudes, and we have a sort of a three-weekly liturgy that cycles. And one of those, in other words, every three weeks, the whole liturgy is structured around the Beatitudes. So I'm pretty familiar with the Beatitudes these days. Anyway, about... Um, five or six weeks ago I went to, to evening prayer and the woman who was leading decided to do Alexio Divina on the Beatitudes <clears throat> and she read blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now you know like I say I've heard this hundreds of times but it's just like a rock hit me that night I was, I have to say, I was in a bit of a low space. I, it was kind of quite struggling. It was a bit of a hard time for me, and there were some weighty things that haven't gone away um, that were, were, were part of this. And I was just sitting there, I was just aching so much. I was aching inside, and it's feeling like I am so poor in spirit. You know, and I, it was kind of, I don't know whether you're like me and slightly obsessed with what's happening in the United States and elsewhere in the world. You know, you're just feeling like, oh, that's great, thank you. Um, uh, you, you feel like, um, where is the kingdom of heaven? Like, where is God's kingdom actually coming? There's just, yeah, there are some nice little signs here and there. Eh? There are some good things that we can feel encouraged about, but there's also Syria and there's Yemen and there's Sudan. And there's, you know, the sex trade, and there's trafficking, and there's, and it just goes on and on and on. So I, that was, you know, and there's Trump, you know, and I'm just going, I can't. Yeah, and, and then, you know, as I say, some personal stuff, and I'm just going, and, and, and then people in our lives, I'm going, where are you, God? Where is the difference? Where is the kingdom coming? Um, and so, and you know, and, and that beatitude says, blessed, blessed, happy. You know, like you're, you're, you've got God's goodness in your life when you are poor in spirit. Uh, and this person receives the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, well, I just said, well, I think that's actually... BS. I don't. I don't. I don't. Ex 
I don't feel like I'm experiencing that. Um, and, and I've kind of sat with that <coughs> and sat with the sense of that, of that poverty, of that being poor in spirit you know, for these weeks since then. It's not one of those things that you know, kind of God lands in your life and it's just there and you kind of ignore it at your peril. So, so that that's kept, has kept going on for me. And I guess I am in a slightly different space where I'm able to articulate that sense of, well, actually, it's in the space of having nothing, of not having the resources, of not having the energy, of not having the creativity, of not, not being able to be in control, not being able to manage it, not being able to make this thing come to be, that God's coming kingdom has a chance. It's not depending on me. So that's, that's perhaps my frame as I come to, to reflect tonight on the mysterious spirit. And what I, what I hope to do, I had a listen to Chris's awesome um, talk on Jesus and the spirit, I, I, and I've seen the transcript of Wayne's, but I'm not, I'm not planning to do a kind of a, a, a mainly talk to. I mean, yeah, I will, uh, but I, what, I, what I'd like to do is host a kind of a guided convo, a bit of a convo together, because... Um, well, actually, the, the spirit is mysterious for all of us, and we all have experience of the spirit, right? So we can all contribute to this. That's what I'm hoping, anyway. Um, uh, and so, just let's think about the. Let, let's just affirm that the, the, the Holy Spirit is mysterious. Um, you know, one of the, I, I tried to figure out why Phil had asked me to do this. Like, um, like, was it because I? was, you know, I'm kind of both a raving, tongue-speaking Pentecostal on the one hand, and because I'm a cold, analytical, logical person on the other, was, was that the reason, you know? And, and you know, and it, it was probably, probably, probably he didn't know what he was going to get, you know, with, <laughs> on the night, you know. He probably didn't want either, really. But <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so... Um, but, the, the, you know, you can, you can, well, earlier in my life, I suppose you can get in this space, you feel like you've got it, this figured, but actually the truth of the matter is that the Holy Spirit is mysterious, and we shouldn't think the Holy Spirit or God would be anything other than mysterious because God is the transcendent other. God is utterly other from us, utterly different from us. God is utterly holy. The Holy Spirit is utterly holy. The Holy Spirit is utterly beautiful. And when I say utterly, I'm, I'm kind of trying to capture, it's beyond our ability to utter. It's beyond our ability to articulate the, the difference of God's Holy Spirit from who we are as created beings. God's Holy Spirit is utterly just, utterly loving, utterly humble. So different from us. And when I, when I so you, you can say that, and we, we know that, and we can't kind of get our heads around it totally. And when I thought about how the word mystery is used in Scripture, um, it, it's, it was really interesting to me. And when it's used about God or about the things of God, it nearly always, it seems to me, is used in the context of revelation, of the mystery being revealed, of something that is unknown and unknowable to humans, apart from the fact that God takes action, that God takes the initiative to, to 
let us know, to get us in on the secret. So just one, one little example of this in 1 Corinthians 2. We're not going to spend time on this, so I'll just read it and you'll just see it. Uh, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God. Actually, there's a dispute about that word, but we'll take it for mystery at the moment. The mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. See, he wanted to shut his mouth as well. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. So here's a mystery that he came, and it was not displayed by, by all the tools of rhetoric and, and um, uh, of great speaking, but it was displayed by the Spirit. The Spirit brought revelation in working works of power. And so I think let's just keep that in mind as we, as we think about the mystery. The mystery is, is unknowable on our own terms and our own resources. But because of God's reaching out to us, God wants to let us in on it. Okay. So let's realize the Spirit is mysterious, yes. But the Spirit is not beyond us. And that's why I want us to look now at um, Galatian, at these, these scriptures, which I've just chucked. Where is it? Which one is it? Do I hit? That arrow? One more? There. Okay. So you can have a look if you've got the Bibles. Now, what I want to ask you to do is to just in groups of two or three, um, read the scriptures, just read them there, and talk to one another about the question at the bottom. What do these, these scriptures say about the place or role of the Spirit in the Christian life? Now, this is 101. I'm not expecting this is going to take a long time. But just, I just want you to think about what is it saying to us, or what is it implying even, about the role of the Spirit in the Christian life? Now, I just want to also identify that these are, you know, from Galatians and Romans 8, uh, just a few of many things that Paul says in those two places. So from Galatians 3 to the end of Galatians 3, 4, 5, 6, he says other very important things about the Spirit. Similarly, in Romans 8, there's a lot of stuff that's really important. But this is just, I'm just trying to just sharpen things here a little bit by selecting these, but feel free to look at the other parts of those two passages if you'd like. Okay, so... Would you like me to read them out or something? You can read them, eh? So just read them and talk together. Oh, good idea. Right. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing... Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Cool. Somebody else, the next one. But I say live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God 
anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Okay, so that's the question I want. There's lots and lots of juicy stuff in here, but that's, this is the focus, okay? <laughs> have a minute or two to discuss it. As well, how does that work? Yeah, so I, I guess for me, the way I understand Paul, and I, I think actually John and Luke, although they say it in a different way, that, so you know, when we talk about John, Luke, and Paul, they're the major writers of the New Testament, okay? I think they all say this in slightly different ways, but, but Paul puts it sharply like this, and I'll, he doesn't say it like this, but I'm going to say this, no spirit, no Christian life. Okay? The... The Christian life, the life of belonging to God, of belonging to Jesus, depends upon the work and activity of the Spirit. So, is that fair enough? Do you think that's what's being said here? I, I, what, what I am trying to what I am trying to get us to see is how crucial in Paul's articulation, which you know we're taking as God's word to us. The, the role of the Spirit is in order to be followers of Jesus. It's, it's not a, an optional, you know, and I think, I, think I, guess I'm, I, I guess I'm speaking about this because there have been large swathes of the last maybe 300 years of the church where you would think it was optional. It's actually, you know, and, and the way that, it's, way that it's been engaged, and I'm not saying the Spirit hasn't been involved in it, but in terms of the way people think about it and work and operate, they, they think of, this is a cognitive process. This is something we, we accept some facts and then we live in accordance with those facts. But actually, that's not what Paul's stance is at all. Paul's stance is that we are animated, we are enlivened, we are energized by God's own Spirit. But I just what I, there's two other things I want to just reflect on in relation to these these and I, and we could we could expand them um, you know more into into the rest of Galatians particularly three to five, three to six and all of Romans eight where this is a, this is not just some kind of conceptual reality that is being spoken about here it's not just okay I became a Christian so that means I understand conceptually that the Spirit was involved in that process. This is an experiential reality that Paul is talking about. This is something that people are aware of happening in their lives. Okay? And so um, uh, where, for example, uh, in, five, in Galatians 5.16, the um, NRSV translated, but I say live by the Spirit, there's two things about the, the other point I was going to make is, and this is a continuous process. It is something that happens day after day after day. So it's a, it's a present continuous, uh, the word is walk actually. Keep walking by the Spirit. And, um, and if, we, if we live by the Spirit, let us be, and the word there again translated guided, is ordered, let our steps be ordered by the Spirit. This is a continuing experiential reality that Paul is articulating. What do we think about that? What are some of the challenges of this picture for us? This, what, are, what, are some of the picture, what are some of the challenges of this picture for what, what our lives are like?
So, okay, I, I just want to, I want us to hold this now and just let that percolate while we keep thinking. And then I'd like to, to turn to the, 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 the key question that I was given, how might we open ourselves to the activity and role of the Spirit inside a culture of reason and logic? And just focus on those words, a culture of reason and logic, for a bit. <clears throat> and, and, and again, I want to ask you to, to just talk in groups and then we'll share together. What would you say are the, the key things that... Or, yeah, the, the significance or the influence of our culture on our engagement with our faith, the, the culture, the wider culture that we live in. What do you think are the things that we experience that, that affect us, that influence us, or impact us even, as we seek to engage with our faith, with God, with the Spirit? Um, but perhaps I'll just say a couple of things here. Uh, that maybe will be helpful. Um, the first is, is to recognise that over the last 300 years, Western culture has gone through this process whereby, we're all aware of this, God and matters of faith have been marginalised. God is irrelevant to the operation of everyday life. You know, we, we now run a whole system where God is an unnecessary presence. Um, which was so different in terms of the West to what it was like before, before um, you know, the 1700s, maybe the 1650s. Um, and and it's, it's, it's almost impossible for us to get ourselves back into that space. And we're never going to get back, so we shouldn't aspire to get back to that space. I'm not saying that's what we should try to do. But one of the key elements of what has happened there is, is that um, reason and logic, and analysis, which are gifts from God. We, we, we mustn't fall into the trap of suggesting that intellectual activity somehow is less spirit-inspired spirit and, and um, provided for uh, than kind of affective emotional response. We can't do that. That's, that, that. That is actually to deny how God has created us to be. So reason and logic and analysis and all of those sorts of things, rationality, is a gift from God. However, as with all gifts from God, we humans have a great habit of turning them into idols, of turning them into the ultimate deciders of how things should be. And so reason, which is actually just a process that we go through, the process of reasoning, we think through things, has been turned into a thing which opposes faith or which opposes revelation. And that's nonsense. That is a plausibility structure, the Western plausibility structure, which says, well, if it's a matter of faith, it has to be irrational. It has to be unreasonable. If it's a matter of talking about the spirit, that's dangerous territory because it's irrational. And so we need to be conscious of the way to the extent to which we are affected by that, that thing, which is deeply entrenched in our culture. As I say, it's breaking up in various ways because as our culture is, um, becomes more pluralist, there are things that are happening there. But it is still a driving force deep in our culture, and particularly, as you say, in the workplace, in the public world, rationality. But it's, 
It's rationality almost as a god. It's rationality as that must be exclu excluded. Any of that faith and value stuff must be excluded. See, economics, you know, I mean, again, there are some changes happening in economics, but economics is a science which doesn't place value on values. It's give me the stats and I'll draw the models and this is how it works, you know. <clears throat> so, so that, that is a, that's a plausibility structure, as Newbigin would call it, a way of approaching, seeing, feeling about the world which says faith is wrong. And so then when it comes for us to come and engage with something as mysterious as the spirit, there's something maybe deep underneath, maybe inarticulate for us that, that bothers us, that makes us feel, well, this is dodgy area. We, we, it's not safe to go here. So, it's not like um, we can just switch that off. I'm all, all I really am trying to do at the moment is for us to highlight it and to recognise actually there are two different plausibility structures that are going. If you are a person who's seeking to follow Jesus and you, uh, your way of seeing the world is in some way shaped by the Bible, then you're, you're in a, complete, a, a competing thing. Now, Newbigin, he uses the example <coughs> of if you are, a, in his case, an English person, and then you go and live in India for many, many years as he did, you eventually come to and sort of inhabit two worlds. Obviously, you're totally at home in the English culture, but eventually... <clears throat> if you really work at it, you, you get to be more inside the Indian culture. And not, that's not to understand it cognitively, but for it to be in you. Now that's kind of what we are, the challenge that we have. We can't help but live in the Western culture that we do. But then to recognise that and then say, actually, but we are being formed by a different way of seeing the world and a different direction for the world, and that, the centre of that is Jesus led by the Spirit. It's a, it's a challenging task for us. And I, I'm, yeah, I, think, I think we're called to engage it. I think we're called to wrestle with it. I think we're called to not just go, oh, issues of faith, you know, or it, it kind of in a hidden way thing, issues of faith and spirit and stuff. I can't go there. Okay, if I feel like it, that's good, and I'll keep it over my little corner. But no, actually say, what does it mean for us to walk in the spirit, be guided by the spirit <clears throat> in issues of justice, in issues of education, in issues of politics and, and governance. What does it mean for us to do that? That's part of the challenge that we face. However, I, having identified that, I want to just pick up something that somebody, one of you said, that I think is actually a real issue for us here. And I'm guessing most of us are <clears throat> formed in kind of middle-class Western Kiwi lifestyle. What I suggest that means for pretty much all of us is that we have um, a bent to being in control, to being able to manage, to not be in unsafe places, not being feeling like we're able to, f to manage the outcomes. It is unsafe for us to be out of control. You know, we talk about being control freaks. I'm a control freak. Okay? 
and to go into places where actually I can't determine what's going to happen is too freaky for us. It's, there's fear that rises. There's the possibility of shame. I might look like a freaking idiot. I can't go there. Now, this is not true for everybody. For other, some people whose lives have been smashed and bashed and crashed, you know, they are in a total space of vulnerability and actually the, the way that this control thing works is different for them. But I'm, I'm just making a judgment that many, most of us perhaps are in that sort of space where we want to be in control. But the Spirit is mysterious. And the Spirit is God. We can't have it both ways. We can't be in control and respond to the mysterious, wild, non-controlled Spirit of God. So we've got choices to make here. I have choices to make here. I'm not saying, you know, I, I, I've got this sorted and you, you guys better sort, you know, kind of get up to me. I'm not saying that. Okay. There is a real choice for us and here I'm saying I'm speaking to us as individuals and as a community, as communities. There is a choice for us to say, are we going to run it according to that middle class formation of, you know, we've got to we've got to have everything sorted. We've got to plan for the future. We've got to and I'm not saying planning for the future is wrong. Don't don't misunderstand me. But what I'm talking about here is the flesh. See, the flesh is not our bodies. The flesh is human independence, autonomy from God that wants to run its own ship. That's what the flesh is. See? And that's why the spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another. It's not that, the, that this kind of ethereal thing hates physicality. No. The spirit of God, God's own life, God's own purposes, God's own love, God's own justice is at work in us and inside us also is something else that wants to say, no, nah, I want my own way. I want it to suit me. I don't want to give myself for that person. Just right now it doesn't suit me. I want to look after myself. That person pisses me off too much. Or whatever. See? That's the challenge. And I think all of us, the challenge actually comes to a call to repent, to turn around. We're called to think about whether our desire, whether we want to hold on to our desire to have control. Whether we want to hold on to protecting ourselves from the fear of being in spaces which are uncomfortable for us. To hold on to our autonomy and trust in our own ability. Somebody said that earlier. Like, you know, we're competent and we can kind of manage this. Now, of course, it's all an illusion. We know that things happen in our lives that change that in a second and everything's fallen over. A baby dies. Somebody gets an illness and it, it just, you know, it just changes it all in a flash. That it's an illusion that we think we can have, it, but it's an illusion we live with. We actually foster it and live in it. Now, are we going to say, yeah, I'm, that's how I'm going to keep... Now, again, I don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about us being responsible people with the resources that we have and the, the 
the person that God has created. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about who's going to make the final call? Who makes the final call? Or even who makes the call day by day about how this life should be lived, about where it should be lived, according to what priorities it should be lived. Let's think about what's actually going on in our lives. Let's think about what aspect of the flesh, which inevitably is opposed to God, is operating in my life. That means there's a problem for the spirit, for, for responsiveness to the spirit. So then, to go back to these scriptures here and the articulation that this Christian life is no Christian life without the spirit. This I want to say this about those scriptures, about that reality. This is the reality. This is the context in which we live. This community of people and the other communities of people who belong to Jesus live in the Spirit. We don't live any other way. That is the reality. It doesn't have to be manufactured. It doesn't have to be made. But what we need to do is, is to realize that's the reality. And to embrace it, to trust that's a reality. It's not up to us. It, it's not that we make this happen. God has made this happen. And God has reached out into each of our lives and made us part of, his, of, of the body of Christ. That is the reality. Are we going to trust that? And not just trust that, but trust it in the way that means our lives are lived on the basis of that trust. Are we going to embrace it and say, yes, this is, this is, this is my plausibility structure? This, we, we can hardly imagine the implications of, to, of saying that we are in the spirit. It's all embracing. There is no element of our life, no element of our past and future that's outside that reality. And so it, you know, it's not something, we, as I said, that we create. It's not something that comes out of our effort. But I wonder whether one thing it's worth doing for all of us is at some stage, not now, to take some time to meditate on our lives, the whole of our life, and every part of our life, the good parts and the bad parts, and see them in the context of being held, embraced by the Spirit of God. This is my life. And the Holy Spirit holds it. And when we do that, I want to ask you to keep in mind that something has happened. This is what has happened. We've been incorporated into Christ by the Spirit. We've been included into the story and mission of God by the Spirit. We have been baptized into the community of Christ and we, where we are nurtured by the Eucharist word and prayer by the Spirit. This is the context which is the Spirit-enabled, Spirit-provided, spirit empowered context that is our reality it's not of ourselves but it's the spirit of God gathering us up into God's purposes it's in this environment in this community these people around you now that we by the spirit see new sight we get new sight now you asked the question about feeling I don't think this is about feeling and I, I'm not sure whether it was, it was just a question to put out there. I mean, I'm not saying that feelings are irrelevant, but what I think is this is, if, if you, life has been grabbed by God, you see things differently, right? 
you have a different perspective on things. There's a different way of thinking. There are different priorities. That happens because, not because you created that, you didn't work that up from the bottom, but God invaded and reorientated things, see? So we have, we, we, we have new sight, new life, new purpose, new hope. It's in this, this community, this story, that the Spirit engages with us. It's right here that the Spirit speaks, the Spirit enables, the Spirit causes us to be called into God's purposes. And we get the chance to respond. The Spirit consoles and heals. The Spirit directs and discomforts. So, just notice, none of this involves abandoning reasoning or logic or analysis. None of it. But it starts from the beginning, which is the Spirit. Jesus Christ and the Spirit. So this is the reality. This is your reality. This is my reality. But there's also a living into it, a participating in it that we need to do. And that's where I'm going to start talking about some of your things. Now, and that is the most significant thing. The most significant thing is not now what I'm going to talk about. And so it goes to Philip's point around the, the whatever it was, 70% or is unconscious behavior, whatever. So much, we, that's what we can trust. We can trust that God is at work in our lives and it's not up to us. We don't make it happen. We don't have to be gooder. You know? We, are, we live in this context where God is at work. Now, you know, you'll go, well, well how, do I hold him? how does that work? Look at my life. You know, maybe you'll go, look at my life. I can't see that. It looks freaking terrible to me. Or you won't. You'll say, well, yeah, okay, I can see this. And, and actually, this is a long-term story. It's not something you can measure by taking your temperature today and tomorrow and the next day. It is a long-term story. But I want to suggest, my testimony is, and I think some of the people I know here's testimony is, that actually this is God's work, and it, God is at work in ways that are like totally hidden to us, but then they pop up. They, they become obvious. And this, I'm picking, there's a whole lot of stuff that we don't know, and we won't know maybe, who knows, when we will. However, there is a place for us to lean in, is the phrase that Karen says. And I want to take a few things to say. We need to create spaces of receptive silence in our life. Now, I think this community has done some work on this sort of stuff, have you? Sort of contemplative practices and so on. You've got to do that, please. I know it's freaking hard. I know you work really long hours and you get home stuffed and you've got kids to sort out and... There's always other things to do and there's yeah, all that. Then you're living according to that, per, that plausibility structure. You're living according to the fact that it depends on you to make this work. Time to turn. Time to find. I don't know how it will be in your life, but to find some places of what I call receptive silence. To be before God. Have you talked about the examine? Use the one of the ways of starting to discern the movement of the spirit in your life is to use the examine regularly. Ah, that happened. A little ding, which in the rush of our lives, when we don't stop and reflect on it, or we don't give a chance for God to point it out, we miss it. See, so the examine can be helpful. But whatever it is, it's a space to be 
to hold, to be there before God and just go, here I am. I so much need you and you to speak and you to enable and you to give. I need that, Lord. And I want to say that 95 out of 100 times I do that, zilch. Nothing. Nada. I don't know anything. But every now and then, kabang. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or whatever. Okay. But if we don't have those spaces in our lives, we don't create the space to actually let the noise drop away a bit. Let the distraction drop away a bit. Make sure the phone is a long way away from that place of receptive silence. Forget it. You're not going to be able to engage the Spirit. You're not going to be able to open your heart to the Spirit. Respond to nudges. I'm sure, I'm almost certain that everybody here knows what I'm talking about. We get a nudge. The other day, I was thinking about somebody. I was just thinking about somebody. It wasn't like, okay, God said, John, do such and such with so-and-so. I was thinking about the person. I think I'll give him a text. And that was all it was. I'm not, I'm not claiming anything for this except what God did. And the person said, that um, acute radar was pretty sharp today, John. I'm going, huh. <laughs> it was just a nudge, just a, huh. We all have those. How many times though do we say, I'm too busy? I can't do that. Oh, let it go. Talk to the person on the bus. Take somebody a cake. Offer to look after some kids. Do the nudges. And I actually want to just push that a little bit further and say, especially the nudges to pray for somebody because, you know, it's nice enough to be kind and people get, you know, kindness happens in our culture and that's cool. But not many people get prayed for. Not many people. And that, of course, is, that's in the uncomfortable, out beyond your control space. Where you pray for somebody and you, 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 you could look a fool. But, you know, my testimony is, and it's not like this is every time it happens, no, but my testimony is the number of times where people come back and say, and I just prayed this sort of dumb prayer, sheesh, I don't know what to pray, okay. I pray this dumb prayer, and then they come back and say, that was, whoa. What? You know, like there was a woman the other day, the other day at Ngatiawa. She said, do you, did you, I know I was praying the liturgy, okay. She said, did you know what you were going to say? And I didn't understand what she was saying. She just uh, came to see us. And I'm going, well, yeah, because it's written down. I knew what I was going to say, and I kind of nod off my heart because I've done it many times. She said, no, 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 did you know what you were going to say? And then, did you know what you were going to pray? And I suddenly realised she's going, God spoke to me, and I, you guys spoke to me. Like, I didn't, how did that happen? You know? So, so, so pushing out into that. Actually ask the Holy Spirit each day, Lord, what do you want for me today? What do you want me to do? Okay, here's a story of somebody very close to me. I know them very well. They're very practical, down-to-earth, get-it-done sort of people. This person was going for a run, saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Going for a run, and it's just recent. And the Holy Spirit said, go to that house, this is a, house, a few houses up the street from where they live, and offer to pray for freedom. Now, the people that were in that house had just moved into the neighbourhood. They'd just moved into the neighbourhood. 
They'd met them, but they didn't know anything about just two people moving in the neighbourhood. And he goes, you know, so he keeps running. Go to that house and I'll offer to pray for freedom. And he says, oh, <laughs> what do I do about this? <laughs> okay, I asked the Holy Spirit. He said, okay, well, I, when I get home, I, I've got to do some stuff. And you know, I, if it works out, I'll be able to do it. And, and he thought, maybe it won't be able to work out. But it worked out. And he had a space to go up. He said, okay, so he goes up the road, knock, knock, knock on the door. And um, so I, he said, this, this will probably seem really weird, but um, I feel like God asked me to come and offer to pray for freedom to the woman that comes to the door. And she goes, goes uh, uh, no, no, thanks very much. No, that, thanks. That's okay. And he's going, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then the person, the guy in the background hears and says, well, what was that you said? And comes to the door. And he, so he said it again. He said, oh, yes, please, come in, come in. He said, we're, we're basically hiding here. We've run away from somewhere else and we're, we just feel trapped and we need freedom. Okay, now, that's a relatively dramatic story, eh? I'm not, I don't, I'm not, but you know, hey, may there be some dramatic stories in Mosaic community. Wouldn't you like that? We actually need that stuff for the kingdom to come. Go into spaces outside your comfort zones without guarantees. Now, <clears throat> Karen asked me to tell a story, so here's one story for me. We have people living in Natiawa that I find extremely frustrating. Like, they are so frustrating. And I just go, I don't want you to do this. Don't say this again. Don't do this again. And I feel, and I'm thinking of a particular person and, you know, this long journey, feel like God's continually challenging me to deny myself. Deny myself. Just love this person. Try and love this person. They'll, they'll never change this, oh, this and that, and the next thing, and all the accusing things that I say. And I'm just a, being a dick. And yet I, I have known when I've taken steps, and I know in the particular case I'm thinking of, how much that has changed I've taken steps. It doesn't mean the person still doesn't annoy me. The person still does annoy me. You know, but I've taken steps, and there is a and quality of relationship and a quality of opportunity for God to work that couldn't have existed if I hadn't felt that challenge. Come on, come on. And, you know, you just feel, I just feel in, totally inadequate for those spaces. But yes, okay. I know I'm supposed to love other people, right? I'll try. And be willing for vulnerability and suffering. Okay, so just to sum up what I want to say, meditate on your life enveloped by the Spirit. Have a sense of that. Get a better sense of that. One, two, create spaces of silent, and create and practice spaces of silent receptivity. Three, ask the Spirit, what do you want for me today? How do you want me to respond today? What do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, 
Spirit of Jesus, the crucified and risen one, we, we acknowledge your mystery, your majesty, your beauty, your holiness. And we also acknowledge that we have received you from the Father, from Jesus, to dwell in us, to animate our life, to orientate our life to the things of God. And we thank you for that. Help us, Lord, please, to live more fully into it. In Jesus' name. Amen.